welcome to another episode of the Miles Offside Podcast, where we talk a little bit of football and a whole lot of nonsense. My name is Oscar Puente, also known as Footy From Afar, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Super Producer Chuck Bailey and Quiz Wizard Ian Stimson. Gentlemen, it's the international break, so we're going to mix things up a little bit. Nope. Wait, what? Nope. 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 Don't like it. (laughs) Oh, unless Chuck's editing, I'm perfectly happy with that. (laughs) I mean, I haven't written a quiz either, so... (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. We might get rid of that bit. I've been busy, guys. I've been really busy. I mean, I'm winning, so I'm happy to to you know call the championship there. Best of seven. Is that what it was all along? It's just a break. It's just it's, it's an international quiz break. Did Adam do one last week? You said something. Adam about did not it. do one. No, oh, we, we uh, wanted to job. preserve the quizziness to um... absolute half job comes in here. Fucking job steps <laughs> yeah, in if it had done one, you'd have also been annoyed. Oh yeah, this is this is what we in the industry call a lose lose. <laughs> Adam, indeed. Uh, yeah, I listened. Um, mm. t- took the piss a bit, you guys sneaking in quite a lot of Brighton chat there. No, don't get <laughs> don't get used to that, listeners. Um, t- but t- I, took our opportunity. Yeah, uh, but I thought Adam did a marvelously commendable job. Uh, I had some other notes, but to be honest, it's all gone out of my head now. <laughs> but you've sent them to him directly. Move on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He got both barrels, mate. It's fine. <laughs> I will say it was a little bit stressful. It was a delight having Adam on. It was uh, it was a genuine pleasure. Well, you were about to say on. less stressful. You were about to say less stressful, weren't no, you? No, 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 no. It was it was less stressful because I didn't have to contend with like wrangling you for the first half of the pod when I'm hosting. But much much more stressful in that I had to direct all my like bitter hatred towards Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I was like, well, we got to be nice to Adam because he's a guest. You know, you got to be nice to your guests. So I was just like ripping on Ian every five seconds. You're like, that old fucking piece of shit. <laughs> so Ian, I apologize if I uh, came out a little strong last week, but you mm-hmm. know, I just wanted Adam to feel comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Okay. I'll take that bullet. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm so used to battling with Chuck, you know, for an hour and a half every week. Mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody to spar with. It is what it is. I'd like to keep you on your toes. Yeah. And what that means, Ian, is basically I protect you. I am a lightning rod for <laughs> a lot of potential abuse. So you are, yeah, yeah, we uh, we definitely focus on each other, and Ian just gets to sit back and be like, "These fucking idiots." Is that what happens? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure that's what happens, but okay. I mean, you're not as mean as either of us. You're like the nice one. So, yeah, but I, what I mean is, I still see. I, I swear, when you're both on, I still get a similar level of abuse. I don't think it was any. <laughs> You know, you say like, oh, usually I'm too busy wrangling Chuck. No, I get plenty of old shit. It's fine. All right. Fair enough. Wow. He's, get, he's getting really surly, Chuck. I think uh, we should probably surly, back off a bit. Surly, a word you would only use on someone you consider to be over 40. <laughs> Aren't you? No, move on. Just, just, <laughs> a, metabolic, just a metabolic age over 40. Uh, all right. Well, uh, if you are joining us for the first time, thank you. We're happy to have you. Uh, we are one American and two Brits, and we try to talk about the Premier League, but we mostly get distracted. Uh, if you're coming back, thanks. Even better. We love you. Um, keep, uh, you know, coming back for more and spread the good word and go on Patreon and all those things. Uh, there's no soccer really stuff to talk about, but there is a couple of things that sort of started to happen while we were um, since last we spoke, Chuck. Uh, So we will kick things off, as we usually do, with our famous segment. 
That's right. Sir Dr. Marcus, Dr. Rashford, <laughs> second. I don't know, we're going to run out of spaces to put things in there. Dr. Sir Doctor, uh, feeding he got a, he got the kids. Doctorate. That's that's all this is. Yeah, feeding the yes. kids, getting degrees. What a guy. He's on like every advert over here on TV. The more I see him, the better for the world. One in the eye for all the pricks who said, oh, these people should fake tents, blah, 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 blah. Fuck off. Stick to football. Nah, mate. Now he's got two doctorates. He's a double doctor at like 24. What have you achieved? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. All right, Chuck, again, that feels quite personal. <laughs> oh, no. I, I mean, I mean, you know, I'm the only one here without a degree. So allow me to project my inferiority. I'm fully with you. I've got a bullshit degree. It's in music technology. He's got fucking loads of degrees. He, hey. I'm, I'm with you, Chuck. Don't, hey. don't lump me in with the degrees. You have produced... 150 approximately <laughs> podcasts, <Nearly>. all right? So, <laughs> that are very popular in Hong Kong and Malaysia. <laughs> Wait, yeah. shit, are we approaching 150? We uh, what is this one like 148? Yeah, 148? this is this is 147, I think. Wow, are we going to do anything special for 150? This feels like a conversation to have off air, but let's do it right now anyway. <laughs> yeah, anyway, Marcus Rashford. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably achieved. He's achieved. Let's not, un, you know, take away from the good Dr. Doctor. Um, and Ian, I will require you to play that music now every single time we mention oh Marcus Rashford. This is like when I used to do the sound effects on Soccer AM and every time Robbie Fowler was mentioned, I had to play Hallelujah. And, oh, God. Oh, my career is going backwards. Jesus. What's the story there? Robbie Fowler was a Liverpool guy, is that right? Yeah, because he was the Messiah. So oh, I okay, had to okay, play okay, okay, Hallelujah. Okay. There were there were various people. Whenever they were mentioned, I had to play a certain sound effect, which meant I could never fall asleep hungover when I was working on Soccer AM. There we are, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, man gets paid to do job and feels obliged to do job. <laughs> gets unusually pissy about having to do job. Yeah. Ah, what kind of job doesn't let me do this at drunk and or hungover? Ridiculous. Outrageous. These working conditions are unacceptable. Speaking of un- unacceptable working conditions, is that a good segue? I don't oh, know. Dear. Feels Ooh, murky. No. <laughs> no, we're doing it. <laughs> Steve Bruce, yeah, he's, he's had unacceptable working conditions. I meant working for exactly, yeah. Mike Ashley, was it? Now it's tied in, you can't cut it out. Yeah, great, great. I'm glad. I'm really glad to, to be part of this conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the other big news story, actually really the only news story, uh, and we're going to get to a producer-picked topic in a little bit because there's no soccer really, um, but we can't not mention the Newcastle story. Uh, for anybody that missed this, Newcastle has been purchased by the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. No, sorry, the financial institution <laughs> not officially related to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, <laughs> the monetary fund formerly known as Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just the symbol. <laughs> yeah. uh, big fucking news. I mean, they're going to be mega, mega super rich, like City and Chelsea and PSG levels. Combined. Um, yeah, well, yeah, indeed. So, uh, I don't know, takes? <laughs> oh. This is a complicated one, right? Obviously, there's a lot of, like, stuff above our pay grade, I would say, in terms of, like, I don't know enough to hey, speak intelligently I've got on. a degree in music technology. I can talk on any subject <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so, you know, obviously, Saudi Arabia, complicated um, situation with them potentially, you know, using sports washing and that whole thing. Look into stuff online. I'm sure The Athletic has really excellent articles in that regard, probably. None of us are qualified to that. So let's just stick to the soccer of it. Stick to football, right? That's what we've been told mm. to do, mm, right? <laughs> yeah, no? yeah. Until, <laughs> until I get a double doctorate, mate. Um, I'll, yeah, exactly. I guess I'll stick to, stick to what I so, am. So um, talk to me as someone who is a of a like sort of bottom half type 
table position on average in the past, maybe not this year. Uh, how do you feel about Newcastle, you know, making the jump in this regard? So in terms of the potential bitter fan argument of other teams, I don't really see that because, you know, again, like we said, the the murkiness of the, or is it actually owned by Saudi Arabia? Is it not? Like it's their public investment fund. It is all of their money, but is it the same as, you know, it's, it's complicated with, you know, when the, uh, leader of the country is a uh director of the the pith and uh so is like the treasurer and like the home secretary and all this so you know yes it basically is the same and there is the element of sports washing but you know i don't think they come in being worth the apparent 500 billion dollars and that is replicated in the spending to which they go into newcastle you know, I it's being bought out by whoever it's being bought out by. If you think there are benevolent billionaires out there, you're probably going to be incredibly shocked when you look into who all of the owners of your current club are. It's obviously, you know, a big part of what's going on with LGBT equality. Um, you know, the Premier League having those kind of campaigns at the same time as allowing in Saudis to, to buy there. But, you know, if they say there is a distance, there is a distance. You know, we can't comment exactly on those kind of bits i keep getting stuck on this i really should move on but (laughs) in terms of like the jealousy as as a fan of a football club no because you know anyone can input their money into anything they they put into and if if newcastle are going to benefit um they finally get to pretend again that they're a big club or (laughs) you know fans can um chant in the street saying we've got our club back um and without even meaning this in a derisory way like what does that mean what does that mean you've got your club back it's geographically in terms of ownership never been further away from you um so is it just about you want the person with the most money to spend the most money at your club yeah Yes, there you go. Yes, yes that's very much. As a Chelsea fan can confirm, <laughs> this is what we want. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it's human beings are really, we're really stupid and we're really selfish and we don't have comprehensions about what is outside of our oeuvre and, and, and our little part of the world. It's very hard to comprehend atrocities across the other side of the world, whether it be murders or, or inequality, imprisonments, beheadings any of that is very hard to see outside the world for a sustained period of time. We all know that most of our clothes were made by people who are underpaid in sweatshops. Most of the food we eat is contributing to the destruction of the planet in one way or another. But as then, as long as our little corner of the world is okay, like we forget about that after a time. And so for people in Newcastle who, you know, their football team was a big outlet for them, um, of enjoyment for a long time, and you know, I, I made a dig before about being a big club, but like they had, like they have, like a nearly sixty thousand seat stadium that is full all the time, even yeah. in lower leagues, and it's a huge sports based town. And so, when you have Mike Ashley who represents stagnation and not going anywhere, and just allowing stuff to gradually deteriorate. And also the wider economic social thing in this country of feeling like the South doesn't give a shit about the North. Someone coming in and and the promise of potentially hundreds of millions of pounds regenerating your area, your club, things you love, um, creating more jobs, like you're going to be happy about that. Whether the intent is for that to happen from the, the public investment fund, the impact 
is that these people's lives, in terms of their perception, will be bettered. Have you seen that happen, like, in Manchester? Is that, like, a thing that, like, when Man City got bought out, they, all the investment, like, that created jobs and, and like, wealth for the community? Well, specifically with that, the, the Man City owners have made a concerted effort to invest locally really well. Now, whether this will happen again, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, with Man City, it actually mm-hmm. has. They're, they're, they do get praised quite a lot for their investment in the local community yeah. and huh. stuff. Which That's is cool. to I their credit, that. you know. Yeah, which is, but... You know, the, the problem with the world and the, the irony is that we're talking about Newcastle and saying that nothing is black and white, that <laughs> there is nuance yeah. and there is grey e- e- everywhere. You know, yes, it's sports washing. Yes, it's happened hundreds of thousands of times. Yes, it is atrocious. All of these things can be the thing. But then also, you know, it, it, it can just be what the world is. And it's sad to say that. I mean, what you said there is exact, exactly right, because what the, the previous sentence I said could be considered the definition of sport, sports washing. I just spoke about how good it was for the local community when Man City got bought, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. and, and that that is what it is. They want to have positive things said about them. Um, I think I think you're right. It's it's, it's very hard to judge any uh, Newcastle fans who are ultimately happy about this because of exactly what you said. Fourteen years of stagnation because it didn't go the way Ashley wanted in the first few years where he wanted to quickly hope to build the club up and imme- almost immediately sell it on for money, if he could. But they got mm-hmm. relegated, so it all went wrong. And it, from that point of view, he, from that point on, he was constantly trying to sell the club and it wasn't meeting the valuation he wanted, which was basically him not losing money, which was never going to happen. So it's very hard to judge any Newcastle fans who are happy about you know, getting rid of Mike Ashley finally because... I can't imagine what, you know, Peterborough are owned by really decent owners and have been for a long time now. And I'm genuinely thankful about it when you see what's happened at Derby and stuff like that. So it, mm-hmm. you can't begrudge any of that. The thing, which is the minority, I'm f- fully willing to accept that, is the people that put the Saudi Arabia flag on their Twitter profile. And oh, fucking, geez. yeah, Ugh. exactly. And really? wearing, wearing masks of, of Mohammed bin Salman and, and those kind of things. And, and then that kind of side being glorified. Yeah. Like that's, that's what's that's atrocious. Gross. That's really That's where the gross. line needs to be drawn. Ugh. Definitely. I mean, yeah. I know. mean, no, the line is way before that, well, well, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I have complicated feelings about this because like as a Chelsea fan, like I picked Chelsea and I fell in love with Chelsea and I like, went all in on Chelsea and then like years later found out about Roman Abramovich's like history mm. and like, you know, I think now he's like wanted for questioning and or actually wanted for war crimes by the US government or something like there's a lot there about Roman Abramovich's history and how he became a billionaire. Um, and like Chuck said, no one's a billionaire by being a good person, right? Like that's just not how the <laughs> world works or whatever. But, you know, like at that point it was like, I I am like Chelsea blue. Like I I can't mm. put that away. So like having an owner that is that feels really fucking gross. I've met him mm. a couple of times when he came to New York. He like will watch a game if he's in New York for like business or whatever, he'll watch a game with the New York Supporters Club, which I have been a member of. Um and used to like go to like every fucking game back when I was like a a college kid. Um and so like I'm like, "Oh, that was so exciting. I took pictures with him when I met him." And I was like, "Cool, it's the Chelsea owner." And then like now I'm like, "Oh." feel kind of weird about that right but like i found out after the fact and like these newcastle fans are newcastle fans 
just like once you're a Chelsea fan, you're a Chelsea fan. So like what happens when these people come in and you're like, it's going to be really good for my team that they have money. Like that's undeniably going to be a good thing for Newcastle. Yeah. So like, how do you even process that? How do you, it, and it sucks. It's gross. But like for them to be embracing it as opposed to being like, oh, this is really fucking gross. And like, yeah, I feel weird about it. Like, you know what I mean? Like for them, for people mm. to be going like 180 on that, like yeah. fucking I think, gross, like I say, that, I genuinely believe that's the minority, but as well, the, the line of who should be able to buy a football club shouldn't be drawn by fans anyway. It shouldn't be up to Newcastle fans yeah. Yeah, to yeah, reject yeah. this particular lot of owners because a lot of fans of clubs will be like, oh, fucking hell, we've got a new big player now. We've got a new big fish in the pond, you know, which is mm. a lot of it. I'll be honest. I think there is a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of it driven by oh shit you know there's some someone else now who could take the best players who could potentially get the best manager I mean they've got the best manager they've got Steve Bruce but um, <laughs> yes please keep him please keep him <laughs> please keep him but um, uh, by the time this comes out he'll be gone we know this, we know this to be true but um, the intellectual press have been a bit sort of snooty about expecting Newcastle Newcastle fans to just reject this. And it's like, that's not going to happen and it's not on them to do it. No, and it's, yeah. not, it's not their yeah. fault. It's like, you know, it goes back to, you know, when they were saying before, like, we've got our club back. It's just like, well, what do you support as a club? What do you, what do you support when you take your money to any business? At what level do you stop? Like... Mm. You know, for example, if you go to the movies, like, I don't give a shit if that film wins an Oscar. I don't give a shit if some dude makes twenty billion pounds off of that movie. I don't, you know, someone getting awarded, someone getting praised. I go there because, like, I want to be entertained. You know, mm. and that's what I want. I pay my money, and that's what I pay my money for. And then what I'm giving in return is a good time for ninety minutes, two hours, three hours, or whatever. So it's like, at what point? Again, can you comprehend the murkiness and the dodginess of everything that happens above us mere mortals that we aren't ever privy to? And I don't think, and I, and I do think that is that you can't blame Newcastle fans for being excited about it and and wanting this, you know, because it's the stadium's gone to shit, the academy's basically non fucking existent, and they're instantly saying, right, these are the things that we're going to fix, you know, Steve Bruce. Obviously, Sky, the second he leaves training today, there's a picture here, Steve Bruce, he's leaving training. Oh, what's, what's going on? Like, he's, he might just be leaving. Like, he probably doesn't sleep <laughs> he's there. Gone home. He doesn't yeah, sleep yeah. there. Um, so, he you know, just, been. just He's chill been sleeping out. under his desk for fucking months. Come on. He probably has. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's, so let's go to that then. Let's go to, like, the soccer of it. Like, so we're saying, like, oh, are they going to be a big team? They're going to be another player, a big fish in the pond, et cetera. Like, what's that going to look like? Chuck, like, what do you, when do you think they're good? Are they going out and spending 200 million in January? Are they like day one firing somebody? Are they going to not get relegated? Cause they're kind of a really fucking terrible team. Like, what, what, like, what, what is this? I mean, it's how much of the uh, FFP actually exists. I think the, the whole thing about Bruce, yeah, chances are he's not going to get to manage his 1000th game this weekend. But like, who do you bring in right now? It's not, it's not like it seems that Newcastle players are you know, a few misfiring pieces or anything like it feels really disjointed and, and horrible when they've got injuries, you know, if you've got injuries to Callum Wilson, who's your best striker, then like, he's not, you're not going to perform anyway. So they're in trouble no matter what. I don't know to what extent them spending money in January gets them anything. Um, a lot of the names of players they've been linked with aren't performing at the minute, which is why they're being linked with. Like, yeah. Players like Aaron Ramsey, Philip Coutinho, those kind of things that are just 
madness is as well because it's right okay so yes you've got 130 million potentially to spend in january which is what's being quoted right but you're not going to destroy your entire wage structure to bring some guy in on 300 400k a week with everyone they else might. there they they genuinely might like what fucking wage structure do they care about they have infinite money look at psg but, and city yeah like, they, they've never cared about a wage no, of structure. course but then it's like how many pieces do you have to bring in because then if you're going to bring in other players that going to you're going to be playing next to someone putting in the same amount of effort and they're literally going to be getting paid six seven times as much as you yeah, it kind of then creates a bit of disparity. Like, how many of these players for Newcastle right now are going to be thinking, right? My days here are numbered. Like, yeah, what's going to fucking happen now? Yeah, I mean, if you think back to like when City first got taken over, like there was a bunch of weird fucking teams, a good few weird years in a row, and Chelsea also. Um, they didn't seem weird to me at the time because I was a new fan, so like I can't really particularly relate to that. But I wrote like Gareth Barry playing next to David Silva in Manchester City's midfield. Like, there were some weird-ass fucking teams there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's a transition period where you have, like, old Man City player with new Man City player mm-hmm. playing in the same lineup, right? And, like, I'm very curious as to what that's going to be. Like, we're going to have Alan St. Maximan lining up next to Neymar. Like, what? Like, <laughs> what's that going to look like? It's going to be exciting. They're about – I'll tell you what. The second half of this season, they're about to look like the 2016 All-Star team. Like, <laughs> every old guy who's a name and will sell some shirts and is willing to, like, just come to play in Newcastle for money, like – Sergio Guerrero hasn't played for Barcelona yet, right? He's still like waiting to actually be allowed in. He's in the parking lot. So maybe he'll come to Newcastle. <laughs> but yeah, maybe, you know, because it, it's at that kind of weird stage where like if, if Newcastle keep performing as they do, like they probably won't stay up. Like, so a managerial change needs to happen. Squad players need to come in and, and just imagine what it would be if they did actually get relegated even after all that, because it can it can happen. <laughs> but, you know, they're targeting... Wanted to be at the top, and uh, you know, Amanda Stavely says about these fans deserve. You know, this team deserves to be at the top. Like you fucking don't, and no amount of money means that you deserve to be at the top. But they want to be legitimately challenging for titles in five years, um, which is interesting, um, to say the least. And and kind of what I wanted to um, put onto yourself, Oscar, is that with this purchase of Saudi and the value of the club now quote unquote because we don't we know this stuff doesn't work but at least the net worth of the owners being worth the same amount as the next 19 teams combined are Newcastle now entitled to a place in the European Super League (laughs) uh yeah I mean yes absolutely yeah if the, the Super League the ethos of the Super League is can you afford to pay the absolute elite 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 talent players the people on 400k a week can you line up 11 of them against 11 from a different team and like and then people consumers of content will want to watch the 22 best players in the world playing each other, right? So if Newcastle have the money for that, yeah, sure, they're fucking invited. Why not? <laughs> I'm pissed that we didn't do the Super League and can keep them out. Yeah. Like, now there's another team that I have to worry about in the Super League. Fine. But that's why the Super League team is fucking hilarious, because what happens if, like, the I don't know, another royal family or whatever backed with hundreds of millions just, like, buys Sunderland? Like, are they then entitled? And then they become Southampton and, and whomever. Like- yeah, then we kick Arsenal out. I mean, they weren't, they weren't in. <laughs> Off your fuck. Arsenal and Spurs are out now. It's the, it's the big five, not the big six. We actually are dropping Arsenal and Tottenham and we're bringing and in Newcastle. Newcastle. In there. <laughs> this, is, this is what was wrong with the Super League then. You can't, you know, you, you otherwise you would have destroyed this beautiful British fairy tale of a club being bought out and being able to climb the league <laughs> with absolutely no downsides or negative things uh, associated with it at all. That's what, This is what yeah. the European Super League was going to destroy. Oh, dear. Can't allow it. (laughs) The dream. A tiny atom that dared to dream. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> to quote Richard Yeah, Keys. man, fuck it. I know I'm cynical. I know I'm a fucking, like, piece of shit for it. But, like, I just want to watch the best <laughs> players playing each other. And so, like, who fucking cares, man? The world's going to shit. I didn't have kids. I don't want kids because, like, I don't think we should have more people because everything is getting worse. Not to get there. Not to let's, go there, but let's, let's go Let's not get fucking nihilistic on this shit. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, exactly. So, like, fuck it. Like, I'll, I want to watch Messi playing next to Neymar. <laughs> who fucking cares? Like, that'll <laughs> be fun. On my big pile of money. <laughs> yeah. Um... In twelve day in twelve days, Palace play Newcastle. So it's before the fucking transfer window. I'm quite glad nothing could happen. We'll still get three points against the richest <laughs> yeah. club in the world. I fucking need that. I can't. I can't have Palace losing. Oh, if, to he, Newcastle. if he lasts that long, you could be the Steve Bruce killer. I don't think it matters. Yeah, well, maybe, but Steve Bruce doesn't make it past. Like, I mean, maybe they'll let him have the thousandth game. I don't know. Um, this. Why don't they keep him around till January? What they're going to bring Antonio Conte in to manage? This fucking set of players, only one of whose name I know. <laughs> like, well, I don't know, but you've got to get the old man stink out of the office and stuff. Yeah, you? fair so, enough. Like, you know. Yeah, he, does, he doesn't have a shower in there, so he's sleeping under the couch, but the, the, the smell really of, kind of like... Know, Cornish pasties and stuff, yeah. just like knocking around. It's the be smell great. of bacon. So, uh, Ian, as the producer on air of the producers brilliant uh, right go on keep that going no yeah. not redoing really this it um bring word of producer land uh-huh. emissary yeah okay. what, 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 what's our topic what's our what are we talking about yeah i don't even know what you're asking me but anyway um so yeah we've got a couple of uh we've got a few producers now who uh pay to produce this podcast and one of the things that they can do is that they can when we have these international breaks and there's not a lot of football going on nothing nothing really happening in the world of football um they can nominate a topic for an episode and one of our uh, producers mark daffin uh, suggested that we talk about the films of quentin tarantino yes because that was agreeable johnny worthington i will not be talking about the merits of brighton and hove albion football club um for any amount of time ah, did he that? in an extended form of defending defe- in uh, defending indefensible <laughs> For yeah, for any yeah. uh, fighting talk fans out there, like I, w- I will not be doing it. Um, so yes, we found Quentin Tarantino films a bit more agreeable, if off brand, which makes it on brand. Yeah, agreeable is an interesting choice of word there for describing Quentin Tarantino films. Well, I mean, we all agreed. We all agreed on the subject. Let's say <laughs> fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, why don't we start with uh, impressions? Actually, you know what? Let's start there. Um, Ian, are you a fan of Quentin Tarantino? Yeah, I would say I'm a casual fan in that I haven't seen all of his films, uh, but I haven't seen a film of his that I haven't enjoyed and wanted to watch again. So I would definitely put myself as a a fan, but a casual fan, because I think to to call myself anything other than a casual fan when I've not seen all of his films would not be accurate. But yeah, I've never seen a Quentin Tarantino film that I haven't enjoyed and wanted to see again. All right, what about you, Chuck? Yeah, so I've watched... I'm pretty sure I've watched all of them. I mean, caveat here that we're obviously talking about these films and then uh, as a kind of refresher, trying to watch some of them, but not all available on streaming services. So the ones like um, Jackie Brown, Death Proof, I haven't seen a lot. Uh, True Romance as well for like, I don't know, like 15, 20 years, I haven't seen it. Um, But overall, like I quite enjoy him as a filmmaker. Um, There there are obviously problems in there, which we'll, we'll come on to later, but I kind of enjoy the 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 repetitive style he's had of you know kind of the massive massive long diatribes that you're so engaged in and really want to know what's going on and then you realize like fuck all is happening right now (laughs) and and just being allowed to like escape into this different world that 
is kind of like your own in a weird, perverse way, considering everything that's going on. Yeah, I get that. I could definitely see that. I mean, his he is really good at writing scenes. Like like you said, like mm. there will be entire scenes where nothing is happening, and then you're like, how have I been watching nothing for 15 minutes, and yet I can't look away? Um, which is, I think for me at least, generally my reaction to him. It's like, I don't want him to, like, exist as far as, like, a creative person. I think he's, like, super problematic um, in a wide variety of ways. Like, he gives off, like, extreme, like, problematic boomer energy to me. Um, every movie, as Ian said, that I've seen, I'm like, oh, this is good. I'm enjoying this. And then I leave and I'm like, ugh, I never want to watch anything <laughs> of this again. So I've seen, like, less than half of them. I have begrudgingly enjoyed most of them. The only one I really genuinely like and have watched multiple times is Pulp Fiction, obviously. Um, which I think probably is his best one, question mark. I'm not a Tarantino expert, but that's kind of the one that everyone has a poster of in their college dorm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what about, I mean, obviously that is, Pulp Fiction is, is huge and uh, for many, many, many people is down as like their favorite film of all time. Um, so, I mean, I'll let you guys decide whether you want to start there or whether you want to go to Reservoir Dogs as kind of his first entry into the world like what would you guys feel more comfortable talking about oscar will will definitely want to go chronologically i'm sure i mean this is correct yes my <laughs> okay. like, my brain is like craving this but i also like saw reservoir dogs once when i was like 15 and i don't particularly remember it so like i don't have many takes other than like mm -hmm. weird and gross why i don't know <laughs> well like, it's okay. you know it's basically an independent film like it in that classic like low budget well relatively low budget um it made it for like one and a half million or something like that and only made like less than three million dollars um Did it? at the box office yeah so it's really like um Blimey. you know it's quite an iconic one uh film in general which has then been pastiche you know the whole thing of like the men in suits and the, you know the the basic story as it were again even though nothing nothing fucking happens in quentin tarantino films and then all of a sudden at the end it's like oh everyone's dead like it's it's such a weird <laughs> yeah. Nuance kind of thing, and obviously Reservoir Dogs opens with uh, them all sitting around in a cafe, and you're not really introduced to these people or know anything. Instantly engaging that scene, yeah, though, isn't it? Yeah, in in the diner, and yeah. it's all kind of like stupid. A lot of the stuff doesn't age very well. We understand no. that, and so when he's talking about you know the Madonna song like a virgin and uh, yeah. why he doesn't tip and blah 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 in the conversations, and then instantly we're transported to they're in some warehouse somewhere half of them are fucking dead there's a guy with a bullet in his stomach and you're just like it's this kind of chaotic style that he has and i think it's quite identifiable as like disjointed stories um that you mm. don't necessarily see as commonplace in as many in as many like filmmakers kind of styles like it's very rare that he actually has a film which goes like beginning middle end yeah he does love a like yup that's me <laughs> and then like rewind sounds like you know that's like his like narrative structure to everything <laughs> yeah and i think you're right to have the surprise ian at, at what it made um because you know with yeah. it being so iconic and you know big actors in there like tim roth harvey keitel Michael yeah, Madsen. I mean, how did he get? How did he get them with such a sort of low budget and being a relative unknown? Uh, I know they'd been screenwriting stuff. Mm. But, all I can know, imagine is that yeah. he just like that's where all the money went. Yeah, everything yeah. about the film just went on the people because, in terms of effects, in terms of anything, like yeah, there's, there's nothing. There's, there's nothing. But the the popularity of Reservoir Dogs came 
pretty much backdated because of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Right. I, I had never heard of Reservoir Dogs until after I watched Pulp Fiction. And I do think that that's part of the story here with him for the record. And I don't want to get too heavy with it because it's an international break and like whatever. But very much a case of like, he seems like, how do you not know? Blah, blah, blah. Like, you'll get that reaction a lot if you're not a Tarantino fan. But it's only from a very specific group of people. Right. And so like, mm. there are lots of other groups of people who like, I hadn't really heard of Tarantino until I was, like, a lot older, and I had never, like, seen his fucking movies until I was, like, a lot older. Yeah. And so, like, I saw Pulp Fiction, and I was I was like, this is pretty fucking cool. And then I went and tried to watch some other ones, and I was like, eh, less so. But I had definitely never heard of Reservoir Dogs at all, even, like, after watching Pulp Fiction. That's, it's also not entirely surprising, just because even, even me, as the oldest one here, Pulp Fiction came out when I was 10. So, you know, it's sort of, you, it, it requires people who are under the age of 45... Mm to make an effort and go back and watch these films because you th- yeah. they yeah, weren't released when, you know. And I think there's an element in a hell of a lot of cultures or fandom where it's just like, oh, you don't love all this, like, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. which is the the kind of toxic fandom which exists in a lot of things. Um, yeah, I think a lot of things that I like, especially. Yeah, probably <laughs> one, of, fucking terrible. one of the biggest out of stuff that we would like is like the whole DC thing with like Snyder verse and get the Snyder cut is like it all just comes from fans basically bullying and saying this is ridiculous and then having to lie to themselves that the Snyder cut is so much better when it's still fucking shit um I mean it is better though but like it's not saying much man it's like saying do you want to cut your (laughs) left leg off or your right leg off it's like much of a muchness um you're still left with only one leg um that's kind of the thing like I enjoy Tarantino films but I understand why people don't because like you have to be in a certain mindset for it i think like um pulp fiction is obviously like it is so great because it feels like it flows a lot more and there's quite like bigger set pieces for um tarantino film and obviously you know samuel l jackson coming in with john travolta you've got bruce willis ving rames um tim roth is in there again Harvey Keitel comes in. There's like Winston Wolf. Like there's a, <laughs> there's so many elements that like it feels like each act runs through pop culture for I mean ever since really. Yeah, that movie is like so. That really is like monocultural. Everybody knows Pulp Fiction. Everybody like sees references to Pulp Fiction, even if they haven't seen Pulp Fiction or are aware that it is Pulp Fiction. You know, what I'm thinking of is. Um, this won't particularly probably be on either of your radar, but have you seen Devil Wears Prada? Is that like a movie that you're particularly into? Uh, Devil Wears Prada, I mean, into? I, I've It's been on around me. Is this I, the, the, the... I, that's exactly what I was about to say. I've been in the room when it's on. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever actually watched it. There's this really amazing scene in that movie where um, Anne Hathaway's character is basically like being dismissive, being like, oh, you take yourself so seriously, cause, but it's just fashion or whatever. And then she like fucking cuts her down and is like that piece of shit shirt that you're wearing that you got at target for like a dollar that shade of blue the only reason it's popular and like runs her through like the fashion history Mm -hmm. of like the last five years and it's like i was there when the one dress that blah 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 led to this led to this led to this led to this Mm -hmm. is why you're wearing a blue shirt from target and so it feels kind of like pulp fiction is like that like even if you don't know that you're wearing the blue shirt that was inspired by the six years ago and layer layer six layers of references back pulp Mm -hmm. fiction like pulp fiction is like has its fingers in sort of everything. And I think it's just so fucking good. Like, straight up, like, I, I really, really don't want to like this movie or like anything by him. <laughs> fucking Pulp Fiction is so good, man. That scene when they're sitting there being like, oh, Royale with cheese. Or, yeah. of course, the Ezekiel scene. 
like it iconic after iconic after iconic after iconic scene like fucking it's just a, man. The, the i mean even from the title like pulp fiction it, it makes it like this story that's just meant to be chewed out that like it's not necessarily meant to mean anything but you mm. but that's what's so great in it and i think it's the kind of the magic in the bottle of all of his the lightning in the bottle sorry of like the whole franchise that he's ever done for all of his films i mean obviously i don't know i mean there's running themes throughout and little bits such as like you know everyone smokes red apple cigarettes or or um uh, manzana rojas or whatever in, in one of the films when it's in spanish i think that's the word oscar yeah yeah yep yes that's right Woo! um <laughs> but this is the one that just like you can you could probably remember it scene for scene without knowing it that well, and like you said, the Royale with cheese, where it's just a joker. But and it's it's so weird that it normalizes like th- these guys are two hitmen that have just been hired to like go kill someone basically and like yeah. rough them up. And you're just like, oh, this is like a normal conversation I would have but with my buddies. It, that's what, yeah, exactly. That's what that does so well. That just puts makes you uh, in like know that then this is just their day to day life that they're able to be going ahead to do a hit and just be talking about his recent trip. Because no, nothing actually gets said that moves anything along. Mm-mm. You know, you don't find you know, you know don't find out anything other than this is a casual chat on their way to kill someone. <laughs> so hit me with what's your favourite bit in that one? Like, what's your favourite, like, oh, scene wow. or skit <laughs> or, like, whatever? Like, if you had to just pick one to, like, show somebody, what are you going to pick there? Um, I can start if you guys need a second to think. I'm more than happy to go first. Yeah, let's do it. Let's just break. Let's just spend the next 45 minutes breaking down that film and just reliving it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like the really poor audio descriptive version. <laughs> For me, it's the diner scene though. Like the jokes, the milkshake, the dance, the overdose. Like from beginning to end, that not date between the two of them is like yeah. that's my favorite bit of the movie for sure. Even if he does, like, kind of be creepily perving on her feet when she's dancing. I'm like, bro, God, get your foot fetish out of my face. Like, I'm not judging you, but stop shoving it in my fucking face. Like, get out of here. I don't know. But, yeah, that one for me, I just, the conversation about the milkshake and the tomato joke. Oh, I love the tomato joke. Like, all of it. <laughs> They're both so good in that scene as well. And, of course, it, it, is the, it is really the whole thing that the film, certainly the John Travolta thing pivots around. Like, you, because you really get to know his character in it and, and his weird like morality that he has about not doing anything with the with Uma Thurman's character when it, it, again in his day-to-day life he's perfectly happy killing people indiscriminately if he's told to and shooting but up fucking like, heroin like <laughs> well, yeah, also that exactly. yeah yeah but he has you know he has this sort of like moral moral chat with himself in the bathroom about what he's gonna what he's gonna do so as he doesn't end up getting himself into real I don't know trouble. how moral that is versus like self-preservational <laughs> I don't think he has a problem with like cheating and like it's so much as not being thrown out of the window like Tony Rocky Horror was. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, exactly. yeah, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah. yeah, Ian, this is why you're the nice one. This is why you're the nice one on this show because you're like, oh no, oh look, he reconsidered his choices. He's trying to be a better person for him. It's like, no, nah, man, that's, yeah. that's not what's happening there. <laughs> I think there's a cute, there's a cutesy element to it. Where it does reduce it to like, oh, maybe it's not about like just him getting beaten the shit out of. He's just like, no, I should be respectful as opposed to the threat of like, 
him being murdered because after the royale with cheese when they're then going up into the uh, walking through the corridor going up to see uh, what ends up being like Brett and Marvin with the big kahuna burger scene and uh, Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. not that it's the, the, the actual biblical quote because why would it be factually correct you know it's cinema um, <laughs> but they're, they're talking about you know why why the guy got thrown out the window and apparently it's like because he just gave a foot rub and he's saying like you know I give fucking <laughs> sensual foot rubs man and it's just like <laughs> that is but it's, brilliant but it's yeah. so good that then like you get enough of the story and then mm. it's just perpetuating but the, but the direction it goes isn't like a, oh like he's scary big bad person and it's just like you're just getting these little bits about oh, who the fuck is Marcellus Wallace like who's Marcellus Wallace yeah. and then obviously you know you move into to the room with Sam Jackson and Don Travolta and you, you know he starts to say to him like what does Marcellus Wallace look like and just like does he look like a bitch and it's like what yeah. <laughs> they speak English and what <laughs> it, I, I think that's probably my favourite scene because yeah. you, you get to see just Sam Jackson just unload so and good. it's yeah. just kind of one camera set up <laughs> foot, foot rub thing you give good foot rubs yeah I got my technique down and everything fuck <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> would you give your mom a foot rub fuck you <laughs> that might be Sam Jackson's best scene in anything right like oh, it's man. the most Samuel L. Jackson that you could ever be is that <laughs> Yeah, scene, so good. I think I don't know, Ian. What's your what's your one from this? It's so, oh, it's so base. It's so base. But I I just love the delivery of the line, and I'm not I'm not going to be able to deliver it. But of Travolta when he goes, "Oh man, I just shot Marvin in the face." <laughs> <laughs> He's just blown the guy's fucking head off with a huge gun because they've got over a speed bump, and then he just delivers that so. Passe is just so good. Like, oh, I shot Martin in the face. (laughs) (laughs) So good. All right. Well, what else? What else is uh, on the list there, Chuck? Oh, we not. I've still got another thirty-seven minutes to go on Pulp Fiction, man. Do we not? Do we not want to bring out the gimp? Oh god. I mean, I don't know. I don't have that many thoughts on that one particularly. (laughs) It's you know, it's a tonal shift, isn't it? And it's where you know you kind of get the the more brutal. Um, elements and probably like problematic Tarantino things and like you know don't want to get into it too much but like a lot of racing racism stuff that feels like yep. oh quite... so much I mean he he definitely gives me the vibe of a guy who gets off saying the n-word yeah he's like haha didn't I say it in front of you I said it in front of you <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he's that fucking guy you know what I mean there's an element of that like because and I and I think especially because I mean, that I can remember in this one, obviously, that after they shoot Marvin in the face and they go to whoever Jimmy's. the character is that Tarantino is playing, Jimmy, thank you, is that he says, you know, he says the N-word quite a few times there. And it's like, does it say yep. dead storage? And I think the fact that even more so that he's playing a character, saying the words that he's kind of helped to write, like, yeah. it does feel dirty. Like, I watched... I watched Django, not to necessarily jump ahead too much, but I think like while we're here, like it makes sense. And it's quite uncomfortable, a lot of that stuff. Like, and I yep. don't know whether that's just because of time going past, like how I feel myself, but it's, I don't know, like at what point is creative license, does it then not become about art and kind of become about just saying it you know what i mean it not adding anything yeah, yeah yeah yeah. i mean he it's a running theme with him and like he spike lee who i don't know 
how much I don't know how much you guys know about Spike Lee, but he's like a very well known, respected black mm. filmmaker in America. Has like focused a lot on black issues and telling the black story and all that sort of stuff. Um, he called him out like in the nineties and was like, "Yo, stop saying the n word in your movies. Like, stop writing characters saying the n word mm. in your movies. Like, just don't do that shit." And Quentin Tarantino like doubled down on it and was like, "Oh, you're being racist to me, actually." Yeah, like that. But it was that, that plus. Movie. Plus Samuel Jackson then coming out against Spike Lee in defense of Tarantino and basically saying like Spike hasn't made a fucking good film in God knows how long and blah 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 and it and it all yeah just being a bit murky and and horrible. Yeah, I mean he 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 on purpose writes scenes with that. Like I mean literally on purpose. Like he's choosing to do this, but he does it so much and it's not just the N word. Like there are other words, other problematic stuff across like the yeah. spectrum of his movies that like it's enough of a pattern that you can like kind of read between there the is lines again there. Pop, like, you know the the flashback bit with christopher walken um yeah. when he's talking to a young butch about um his grandfather's watch and his his, his grandfather sticking that watch up his ass for four years and uh you know there's there's a lot of slurs against asian people in in, in that part as well and it's yep you know, you can you can kind of understand in those bits when it's not for the impact because he's going to have been a guy who potentially exactly. in the seventies is like a fifty six year old and is a product of that time. Yeah, that it's horrific. And I know Django, like at that time, it obviously was incredibly racist, and, and he kind of does kind of uses something with the characters that when they're like in Django, they're they are obviously the early parts of the KKK and they're, they're going to try and hunt him after they've been in the town and they're all running. But it's it's a massive long scene about how the pillowcases that are on their head, like so-and-so's wife who's cut the holes in them, hasn't cut them in the right place and they're all just like, they're all fucking idiots. And so it's like, in that kind of instance, it, it kind of makes sense why they're yeah. saying the N-word because also in this whole scene, they're fucking idiots. Mm. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, in sure. that way, and so so that's where like and, yeah. and, uh, you know I'm probably not the right person to comment on this, um, but it's it's at what point does it flip from art and and creating a character to just like like Oscar said before being like I'm going to put the N word in as yeah. many times as possible here. Well, that's what I mean. That feels like a fair distinction to draw in that with Christopher uh, Walken's character, like like you say, there's a there's a <laughs> justification in inverted commas for it you know there there were people that would have used those words and felt like that from that situation but you know him casting himself in a role where he gets to say the n word does feel completely different to that doesn't it it feels it feels just gratuitous you know he seems to always go back to the excuse of like oh it's not me saying it it's just the character and that's true to this character in blah 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 and it's like yeah but like you're choosing to write characters where it's true for that character in like a mm. lot of your fucking movies, my guy. And like, you chose to make a movie about slavery. You could have made a movie about other stuff. Like, yeah. he has only made 10 movies. The fact that he continues to make this choice in such a large percentage of, I didn't particularly want to go here with this conversation. I don't That's want to like get too negative with it, but he fucking is like extremely, extremely, extremely racistly written. I will say without calling him specifically a racist. Um, although he probably is, but you know, whatever. <laughs> but let like like let's keep this light. I don't want yeah, to go it here bears, with it. Like it bears mentioning, and like I don't think we can't not acknowledge it. But then you know we can go into it, and it kind of then fits into like the next film of Jackie Brown, which is again we don't we don't have to spend a lot of time talking about this, but it's hugely about the kind of 
the black exploitation, as it was called in in cinema, running through kind of the sixties, seventies, yeah. of just you know having, I guess, quote unquote, representation in cinema, but it all just being stereotyped to the max. Yeah, like 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 a lot. I don't even. I yeah. No, well, fuck I mean, this it's movie. it's it's just stupid shit. Like it, it you know, at the time in the seventies, you had like Blackula. Which was just Black Dracula, but yeah. Blackula and Blackenstein for literally for Frankenstein and those kind of movies. And and part of it is, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Dolomite, or uh, which is quite a famous thing, which is Rudy Ray. I can't remember his name. Maybe it's Rudy Ray Robinson. I don't know. Um, and Eddie Murphy remade that recently, um, which is on Netflix, and it kind of works kind of as like a biopic about this comedian who he tried to be a straight man and then the the way he then turned his comedy act was to be like a pimp character and it was just these like one-liners that at the time really landed and then he then just got ridiculous with it, got really successful, kind of had underground albums um, that the kids would like sneak in and listen to, like you'd sneak your dad's album and you put on the comedy album and you'd listen, listen to it. Um, he was playing this fake pimp called Dolomite and then he got so big like he made a movie and it's... The actual movie he made is hilarious and like badly made, but he financed it. He financed it all himself, um, and so that's just kind of like a part of part of cinema. Like I, I'd encourage you to, to watch that as a as a separate film um, because I, don't, I honestly don't really have much to say about Jackie Brown because I can't remember it. I have nothing to say here, so no. we could probably skip it. Uh, except that there's a, a lot of N word use that would only further entrench the position we're in. So. Well, exactly, but. But, you know, it's the the two parts of like Tarantino then, and it kind of then he has like a bit of a gap, and coming up into the two thousands then with Kill Bill and kind of showing his love for Asian cinema quite a lot, and and getting the chance to utilize that. So, what were your guys' kind of thoughts on Kill Bill as it as it pertained to the time? And I guess we could take these as like both as a two. Um, mm. together uh this is one of those that i've been berated for over the years over and over and over again not just by tarantino fans but like pretty much everybody i know is like you would fucking love this you really need to watch this and like it just kind of hits that turning point where i'm like nah fuck you guys i'm not gonna watch it now <laughs> so i still haven't seen kill bill i think i've seen like the first oh, half wow. hour of the wow. first one a couple of times but yeah i'm the one thirty year old dude who's like hasn't seen kill bill oh that does surprise me. Like, I, I mean, I know, no, I know, it is surprising. You know, I would, it's, it's very much like off-brand for me to not have seen them. But are you because like we've had conversations about like martial arts films and those kind of bits. So, yeah. like, are you into that genre? Or is it just that it? Yeah, hundred like, percent, very much. Tell so. me kind of where you're at and kind of why necessarily it hasn't happened, or is it just you're being stubborn? Uh, well, <laughs> originally it was just like fuck Quentin Tarantino. I don't want to watch Quentin Tarantino movies or support him as a filmmaker on any level whatsoever. And then it just kind of snowballed. Into like genuinely like one of those where it's like, stop fucking telling me to do this. I'm not going to do this now. Like everyone for 20 years has been like, oh, if you don't watch Kill Bill, you would love Kill Bill. I'm sure I would. Actually, you're all very nice people who know me pretty well. And I'm pretty sure I would love it. But like fucking back off. Like I'm just not going to. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. kind of thing that it just keeps going and going. Um, I'm sure I would, though. I love martial arts movies. Like uh, even like not dubbed ones. like Or rather not American made ones. Like, mm. I'll, I'll, you know, like Ninja Monkey, Iron Monkey. um you know, Crouching Tiger, the the Jet Li one where he's like a commander and there's like magic a little bit. I forget the name of it. Doesn't really um, narrow it down, buddy. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like it's set in like medieval-ish times. I don't remember the name. But like, you know, I, I do love martial arts movies. Like I, I grew up watching Jackie Chan, I, you know, Tony Jaa, Donnie Yen, 
Mm-hmm. Um, the Ape Man movies are fucking on re- on repeat in this house. Like we fucking love the Ape Man <laughs> movie. You know, I'm into I'm into martial arts, so I'm sure I would like this. Is the martial arts good in this one? So that was what I was going to say. That like he's he massively loves like Asian cinema and like the tradition of coming through, and it it kind of shows in a lot of of this film. Um, I think again, it's you know the way they tell it is disjointed. Um, obviously it's about Uma Thurman's character getting revenge you know they kind of buried a lead in the title of that one um, <laughs> but it starts off with like it starts very quickly on with a fight scene which is really good like a domestic fight scene in a house with someone and then you know you see then like once that fight ends and she ticks that person off the list well they're the second person in the list so right what happened with the first one no we're not going to go to the first one now we're going to go to like yeah. why she's doing this and and so it, it's it massively follows that trope but it's very smart filmmaking though isn't it yeah that sort of you know that sort of start just gets you straight in and you know what's you know what's going on even though you don't know what's happened to it you've not you're not sure what's caused this revenge scenario it's very clear what's happening and you're in you know you've had enough to kind of satiate your weird bloodlust if you're some sort of like Quentin Tarantino wears a tap out t-shirt and <laughs> Prison Break is your favourite TV show of all time kind of fan um, but you get that but it's got it's got quite a good balance I mean Uma Thurman's really really good in it um, yeah. she is um, having that kind of quick wit snappy kind of attitude um, mm-hmm. as someone who then also has the human element of kind of what's happened to her in the past. And I don't, I'm conscious now of saying too much because yeah, I mean, I don't I think Oscar like will watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert for this movie. Speaking of 17 spo- oh, years old. Whoa, 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 whoa. Speaking of fucking spoiler alert, you're not getting away with this <laughs> oh, on air. Okay, Oscar, here we go. Oscar ruined the end, the end of the latest <laughs> James Bond film for Ian in a text. And then, realised what he'd done and then deleted it and then by deleting it drew more attention to it <laughs> and I'd already seen it pop up on my notifications yeah it had just been there for like five seconds and all I said was <laughs> I'll bleep that that's all getting oh, yeah, I know you're going to bleep that I just wanted to have to get the bleep machine out for that one <laughs> that's going to be the longest bleep we've that... ever had oh for fuck's sake Oh, for fuck's sake. It's the fact that the, the problem is, though, Oscar, like you joke about Ian being old, like he could have forgotten about it, but you've just told him twice what happens again. Oh, come on. Come on. This dude has been like the. When was this supposed to come out? Two, like, years, two years, years ago. ago? Genuinely two years yeah. ago. We're bleeping, but it's all getting bleeped. Can't leave any of this in. I actually had no idea what happened in that film. Genuinely. None. I went in so spoiler-free. I think the internet's been quite good at people keeping yeah. people spoiler-free Cons- of the James Bond Especially considering film, yeah. like how long this film's been done for. Yeah, true. That's very true, actually. Yeah, I mean, not to not to digress too much, but yeah. like I've seen it twice in a week now, and it was it was fucking phenomenal. Um, my dad said it was the best Bond film he's ever seen. JBW didn't give us the Bond movies as a topic. I helped him put together a spreadsheet <laughs> for Bond films for JBW. Did you? Yeah. Oh, what went into that? I mean, it's it's basically just a copy of my Marvel spreadsheet, but like, so it's the same idea. We came up with like 10 categories. I was like, okay, you're the Bond <laughs> expert. I'm the spreadsheet expert, right? So you tell me like, what are the 10 quintessential things that make nice. a Bond movie a good Bond movie? We came up with that list. This is fucking Patreon added value. Fuck me. This is <laughs> Absolutely. Level, that was out of friendship. Is. I don't know if he was even producer level at that point. That's just like... 
<laughs> just, I've been friends with this guy for a long time. Yeah. Um, then we went through all the categories and I was like, all right, tell me which ones are the most important. Like, weight these out of 10. Like, is it, you know, gadgets? <laughs> is that a 10 out of 10? Like, if it doesn't have good gadgets, it's a shit Bond movie or whatever. So I set him up with the spreadsheet and he's just been going through, making his way through the whole thing and ranking them and stuff. I don't, I never saw where that came out though. I don't know if he finished. I know he was like we- very well into it. I I want to get involved in that. I could I can <laughs> take part. It's um, I didn't realize you were such a bond head. Well, no, we did that. We did a bluffer ages ago, and I, I remember doing just like the bond names, and I was quite surprised because, like in my world, like that, like I grew up watching all the James Bond films. Like they were on TV every Sunday, mm. um, and I've seen all of them multiple times. I've read some of the books. I'm not going to claim I've read all the books. You know, they they don't age very well in many ways. But then, like, after seeing, like, the latest film, which I think is the best film, you know, we joke about, um, oh, I've got my club back, or, like, oh, this is my club, like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, people saying, like, it's not a Bond movie, like, what the fuck's a Bond movie, you know? It's like, it's like when people say, like, oh, Aliens 3 isn't an Aliens movie, like, what's a fucking alien movie, you know? Well, this is what my spreadsheets are for. <laughs> Literally, that's the fucking point of them. It's like when you're having a conversation, it's like, that's not a good Marvel movie. It's like, well, what do we fucking mean by Marvel movie? Let's Quantify make this objective. It. Quantify Let's it immediately. Put numbers. Yes. Let's use science to like have this conversation in a meaningful way, as opposed to my fucking feelings are. Like, oh, I really, it makes me happy to do things that make me happy. Therefore, I'm a well adjusted person. Take that's emotion all I need. out of the argument. <laughs> it's my favorite Oscar voice. Just my favorite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, Kill Bill, watch Kill but Bill. Anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> we're just wondering how much we can say in case you ever decide to relent. And, I mean, and I, watch it, it is on my list of things to do, but like, I've still not done it at this point. So, like, you can. Feel free to spoil me. It's wondering, like, how much does he stay, like, true to the uh, this kind of genre, as it were, and how much is it kind of you're putting stuff in for the sake of it? Because there's a, there's the easy, obvious one, which is where, like, you know, Uma Thurman in all the posters and obviously in one of the massive fight scenes, she's wearing, like, the Bruce Lee Game of Death suit. Mm. The yellow like, one, which, right? Which is the yellow one with the black pipe in. Like, yeah. it's very iconic. As, you know, everyone's idea of, oh, that's Bruce Lee, instantly. Which is really bizarre because of, like, how Bruce Lee went and, you know, a lot of people's introduction to martial arts films is, oh, yeah, Bruce Lee films. Like, oh, I've seen all his films, man. Like, okay, like, name one apart from Enter the Dragon. Um, Because, obviously, it's like he didn't make many films because, like, Enter the Dragon came out in the US a month after he died. What became the sequel to Enter the Dragon, which was Return of the Dragon in the US, but was Way of the Dragon, which is the one where he fights Chuck Norris, had come out okay, like... Okay, yeah, I was going to say, is that the one with Chuck Norris? <laughs> yeah, Perfect. so... Okay. But then they released Correct, that after the last. fact. He then had, obviously, Game of Death, in which the suit comes from, but he died during the filming of that. Um, and so I think it's in Game of Death, where there's like literally scenes that to finish it, they filmed like the back of a dude's head oh, that really? wasn't Bruce Lee with a mirror, and they just stuck a fucking picture of Bruce Lee over the mirror. So it was like, oh yes, this is Bruce Lee now sitting in his chair. Like, it's fucking huh. bonkers what they did. <laughs> um, and I mean, this is where I could go on for hours if you want about the, the <laughs> history of martial arts films and my weird knowledge of this. But um, where was I going? Yeah, but he, so he kind of has those big things that hit, but like. 
there's you know the Ironside music, the the sirens that go off like you know when she's about yeah. to kill and do whatever, which is taken from obviously Ironside, which was Quincy <laughs> Jones, which is a detective in a wheelchair. To go back to what you were saying though about the like the yellow suit though, this film sort of in a way, or these two films were were made for me when I was because they came out when I was nineteen and twenty. I was probably mm. t- target audience, you know, and. With me, I, I don't know load of Bruce Lee films or anything, but I do recognise that jumpsuit. Do you know what I mean? It's just a visual mm. bang straight in for me. Right, I know now what's going on in this film. It's gonna There's going to be martial arts. But it was just an easy visual for someone like me. Yeah, but yeah. did you play Tekken 3 a lot? No, no, I, yeah. I wasn't a Tekken boy. With the bowling, <laughs> with Tekken bowling. Yes, I fucking did play Tekken yes, 3 Yes, that was the one with bowling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was the also one with someone bowling. wearing Bruce Lee outfits as their character. Yeah, uh, Lee, Lai, Lee. I forget the name of the character. I, don't, I think I'm it was Lei. But you had Law, who was Jackie Chan in Police Story, and then you had yep. Lee, who was Bruce Lee or Lai. Yep. I don't know how you oh, pronounce it. I love it. Tekken Three. Oh but man! That, but that's what's funny. That you know, we talked before about um, black exploitation and that kind of thing. Um, after just as like interesting tidbits, nothing really to do with Tarantino. After Bruce Lee died, obviously he was fucking huge. Like, especially in China, and was just breaking out in the US. So a whole genre of films came out, which was called Bruce exploitation, where mm-hmm, there were literally mm-hmm. actors called Bruce Le, Bruce Lai, Bruce oh, La, Bruce, <laughs> and they were just constantly like Rebirth of the Dragon, or you know, right. Bruce Lee goes to hell, and they're like Bruce Lee fights twelve people and makes friends with like <laughs> I can't even remember, like literally like stupid shit like. Colonel Sanders or something <laughs> mad like that and like fights right. off these fellas and then like they'd use in one of the films which is about his resurrection where he was then played by a lookalike they used footage of like his actual funeral from like him being taken through the Jesus. streets and just like this bizarre absolute bizarre hype that came from it um but it, it, it's just fascinating that that whole um genre of films i've i've watched lots and lots truck i'll have to you have to remind me i'll have to find the name of it but there's an amazing documentary about like the history of hong kong cinema and it has like a whole bunch of stuff about bruce lee and after he died and like breaking into the american market how they used to like mm. bootleg copies and then sell them in the back of like grocery stores because you couldn't get them from the actual video distributors mm-hmm. over here it's a really really good documentary oh i'll find it and i'll share it with you and then I'll, we'll post it on the twitter too because yeah fantastic stuff if you're I mean, into that like Oh yeah, hugely. Like you know, all through Hong Kong cinema, Golden Harvest films, um, yep, mm-hmm. Run Run Shaw and, and the Shaw Brothers, and, and those kind of bits, and and how that you know the chop socky um, kind of stuff, which is like chops and punches, the, the bad dubbing and the, the yep, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. yep. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> they had the they showed the guys recording the sound for that. It, it was all about Golden Harvest. I think like that was the. Yeah. focus of the documentary or something i don't know we'll, we'll find it we'll share it out it's really good stuff but yeah it's the obviously the iconic thing of kill bill being the five finger death punch that she learns which is like <laughs> the way she does it so then like in five steps you'll die and what's funny is from that is like one of the original um chop socky films was called uh like five fingers or death of death or um uh, king boxer i think it was called and there's a bit in it and and this guy and obviously like the way his hands like he gets his power is the Ironside music starts playing that siren, which is again, really fucking weird because it's a song written for a, a 
detective in a wheelchair show being used in Hong Kong cinema for yeah. a guy whose hands start to like vibrate and like flash red and then he like smashes people through walls and like punches through through pillars to get to people and leaves massive holes in people's chests and just just hilarious shit that mm. is just so fun and nonsensical and and that's what kind of feeds into Tarantino's films and it's just nonsensical a lot of the time so so here's one then so being as we don't necessarily want to go through these two films so much because I think there's a chance Oscar might watch them one day and it, it would be it wouldn't be good sport to uh, spoil it uh, Lottie left Bake Off yeah. mm. but, um, <laughs> Lottie left Bake Off but, <laughs> but um, uh, still not over it like no, I know. Um, but like with your then knowledge, Chuck, of of martial arts movies and stuff, how do you how do you see this film as a homage? Like, does does it does it do the right things? Does it pay the right respects? Does it hit the right beats? Or is it a sort of are the martial arts bits or or bits that are supposed to be influenced by those films? Are they just a bad pastiche? Because I can't judge it. Right. Uh that's a good question. I don't I don't think they're a bad pastiche at all. It's probably the kind of thing that super duper fans like with anything like oh it doesn't belong mm. there and blah 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 like it's ridiculous. Yeah. I think a lot of the way the fight scenes are choreographed is really well done. I think the use of color um the use of because obviously it's like it's a violent film, right? But mm. it's not gory even though like it's like cartoonish isn't it yeah they he he goes so far with it that it fits into what like the low production would be of those films anyway the fact that like they couldn't make it look really graphically real so when they cut someone's arm off it's gonna spray out like a fucking fountain fountain. you know what i mean because like all they had was just a hose that they would stick down a sleeve and pump red water or or food (laughs) dye or whatever through it and you know, there's yeah. there's some bits that you use anime and mix the media, and um, obviously like one of the big fight scenes where it just switches to black and white. Like all of a sudden, it's quite mm. jarring, but it really engages you into it. And, I, and so I think that kind of side of things is well done. Weirdly, I've seen the first one about twenty times and the second one about three times. Um, okay, but from what I remember, like the second one, then like some of the stuff is more wires, and there's you know the training montage with yeah. like the old master and those kind of bits. That so I think throughout the whole thing, like it's it's quite if you suspend the Tarantino hate of it all, which is difficult because there are elements there where it's just like the conversations and and fuck all happening, not quite so much. But yeah, I, I think that kind of bit of it is is quite well done in terms of the martial arts and the fight scenes and stuff. Okay, interesting. Nice. That's a good ringing endorsement, then I think. Uh, what else is there? Are there any, there's other. Uh, we got Django. I know that. We got Glorious Bastards. We got Once Upon a Time. What about? Let's let's talk late stage Quentin Tarantino, and we're kind of going a bit long here, I think. So, like, let's just each pick one late stage Quentin Tarantino movie and sort of like make the case for why it might be worth watching. How do you feel about that? Ian, you want to go first? Which one's kind of out of these four? Because we'll we'll blow over Death Proof. It's you know it's fine. It's a thing. Yeah. I mean, I I really enjoyed um, Inglorious Bastards. I think I've watched it twice now. You might know better than me, Chuck. Is this the last one that was edited by? He he had a long term relationship with an editor, and she died. And I think this might have been the last film she did. I genuinely wouldn't be able to tell you. I'm not okay. I didn't know. Okay, I didn't know whether you'd know off the top off the dome piece, but. Um, I I think this was edited by... So he had a long-time collaboration with an editor, and I think she 
get. There's a Sally Menka who passed away yes, in Santa. 2010, which it was a 2009 film, so close to that. It would have right. been. Yeah, I guess that would have been the last one. Yeah. Okay. I think she deserves so much credit for what's good about Quentin Tarantino films, because I think the editing is always absolutely spot on because it it it's that flipping between like exactly what we've talked about those those long dialogue driven scenes that sort of get you get you mm. into the characters and, and get but then whenever there's action or anything it's always edited so well it's always done so quickly but without mm-hmm. confusing you you know because i'm very easily confused and it's just <laughs> but it's always done so well and i think i think this was the last film she did it if if i was right yeah. um but the pacing of i think it's the opening scene in inglorious bastards with yep. um the the farm farmer mm-hmm. hiding the family and stuff the tension in that scene is unbelievable and it's so like it's so slightly held back all the time but you can just tell this guy and this is a testament to his performance as well um matey boy what's his Christoph name uh, the actor that's the one thank you um how good he is because i think he's absolutely brilliant in this film um just the the menace in that scene and the tension in it is absolutely brilliant but yeah i mm-hmm. just want i, I just I, th- I thought this was the last one she edited and i just thought that deserved a little shout out because i think that the editing is such a big part of why mm-hmm. Tarantino films are so good and I think I think they probably dropped off after after 2010. They, I bet the runtimes get a lot longer too if you look. I don't know that. Oh, I don't but know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I agree with you that I, I didn't even know about the editor um, but it, they, the last the ones after Inglorious Bastards starting with Django I think that would have been probably the next one just thinking back to the year that I went to go see that um, they're sl- a lot slower a lot more sort of yeah, right. That's interesting. pensive okay. a lot of like meandering a bit they're they're mm. they amble towards their stories as opposed to like yes. move at a brisk pace the way the earlier ones which is did. weird because and i'm quite annoyed that you picked inglorious bastards because i i think all <laughs> things said and done i think that's probably my favorite out of all of them okay. um because you know he introduced christoph waltz to us and i think christoph waltz is unbelievable like so to good. be to be such a captivating and engaging screen presence in four fucking languages in this film, yeah, which he is because, you know, obviously, like you said, you have the starting scene on the farm and it just gradually builds and builds and builds and, and the music comes in behind that in, into what it is and, and the essence of the being of this incredibly charming character, engaging character who, like, is literally there to murder people. And you, like, you catch yourself being like, hang on, why the, why the fuck am I in... What's the word? Like enjoying feels feels like it doesn't say yeah. it right. But this I guy, know, who's, no, I know what you mean. And it, you end up laughing at some of his lines, and you're like, "Hang on, this I is know he's here to kill yeah, everyone." It's filthy, and I, and I think the the writing in it, and again the pacing. You know, I think Fassbender's fantastic in it. I think Daniel Bruhl's uh, fantastic in it. Um, uh, the French girl who's in the cinema. Um, who plays yeah. Shoshana? She's my favorite character. Shoshana, in that. who who comes so back, good. and and Brad Pitt playing this gruff, you know, anti-Nazi um, part Native American um, lieutenant with iffy morality himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like I don't yeah. think any, <laughs> I don't think any part of that film misses. 
I don't know. Yeah. Maybe am I, Oscar, you, you've kind of been quiet so far about it. I mean, what do you... Is this another um, one you've refused to watch or... No, no, no. I, I, this also might be my favorite one as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to top Pulp Fiction, man. Like, Pulp Fiction's so good. But Christoph Waltz, I think, does put this over the top for me. Mm. I've seen this one actually multiple times by choice. Like, I just like mm-hmm. it. It's just a really fucking great movie. Um, and there's good actors and all sorts of good stuff um, across the board. I think it deserved all the awards it got. But as we're sitting here having this conversation, I'm like, man, yeah, he did do a really good job of humanizing that Nazi. And then immediately followed it up by doing a really good job of humanizing a slave owner. Like, what a what a great thing to be making films about. <laughs> Fucking guy. But, like, Christoph Waltz... But they get their comeuppance in the films, I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah fair enough, fair enough. That's true. Um, yeah, I love this one. I think it's really, really good. I think it's really well made. I think it's really yeah. compelling acting. And I think that the, the basement... Uh, again we have iconic scenes where it's nothing 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 and then action all at once the the basement mm. when they go down there and the three of them and and you know they're playing that parlor game the christmas parlor game that like most yeah. of us have played with like the post-it note on the card on the forehead like 20 questions or or, or whatever it is and yeah. and just that energy and again the tension that just builds and I just it's just just so fucking good he's such a good filmmaker it's so fucking frustrating how good he is like <laughs> Give that guy's brain and a, an ability to, like, someone else who would choose to do different things with it. And I would be, like, <laughs> my favorite fucking filmmaker of all time. I would be as obsessed as, like, so many people are. It's more like, he's so fucking mm. good, man. His dialogue is really, really crisp. Yeah. It's riveting stuff. Like, you cannot fucking look yeah. away. I mean, whoever did the casting did whatever they did, they did it right because um, literally just scrolling through on his Wikipedia page, um, I'm not going to pretend like this is an original thought. I knew this before, but <laughs> his his original idea for, for Colonel Hans Lander was Leonardo DiCaprio, which just like that film doesn't fucking work. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> in that world it doesn't work as good as leo is and you know like you said before like oh finding a fucking slave owner slightly charming at points um in 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 the next film that you just like i mean django in general like i watched it uh the other day and i did just feel dirty afterwards it like just didn't Mm. i don't know there's just something about it I mean, the, it, the something is that it's about slavery yeah. and like just a yeah. thinly veiled excuse to like write upsetting yeah, shit. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, uh, what is it? Is, you know, some of it meant to be uncomfortable because like it would be like. That's not his fucking story to tell. How about yeah. that? No, no, yeah, yeah, okay. That, I I think you're exactly right. That it's, that's what's kind of weird and like, I don't really know what to, to say about it. It's hard to articulate that and, and you mm. just did it's in two a, seconds. It's a beautiful film, but like. No thanks. Pass. I saw it in theaters and I was like, I left and I was really upset. It makes you feel gross. Mm. And then I was like, okay, I'm never going to think about that again. <laughs> and it's been eight years or whatever. Mm. Like, I don't know. The only good bit is Jamie Foxx in a blue crush velvet suit. Like, that's. Oh, yeah. That man is handsome. He's, he looks that man beautiful. Is very handsome. You do see quite a lot of. You do. Rhythm. Was it a real penis? I mean, well, actually, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, it could have been a prosthesis. I was going to say, I mean, it was someone's penis, but that's not necessarily <laughs> true. Was it your penis? A stunt penis. I, 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 my head heard the question as, was it a stunt penis? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it like Joey and Friends, where it was actually made of luncheon meat and just... The <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> silly putty! Not so silly anymore! <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, dear. So, yeah, so let's... Uh, 
let's blow past that then, um, and then yeah. we kind of go on to the 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 last two there. I haven't seen either of them. I don't. I, I, he's old. I'm over old people doing shit. <laughs> like, fuck it. You know what I mean. So, like, you had your time. Go retire. Get out of the way. Madonna just did a thing. I'm like Madonna. No one wants to see you in lingerie. What? Come on, man. Like get out. You you made your money. Get out of the way. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like why why is Madonna releasing specials? Right. That, like, is it the same people that are telling you to watch Kill Bill? Is this the issue? <laughs> yeah, yeah no. I was. I think it's on Apple TV Plus. I don't know. I think it might be on Apple TV Plus because we were watching Ted Lasso, and I was like, "Stop fucking telling me to watch Madonna in concert." <laughs> I don't want to watch Madonna in concert. <laughs> Who's telling you this? The people, the television the box people, the people the in the telly people. pictures, the corporations, Ian, the corporations, big big telly. Yeah. So the voices in my I'm, head. I mean, I'm not sure we were supposed like to come a to any conclusion. <laughs> exactly, it's gone, it really has gone full circle. It really has. <laughs> what I will say, what I will say, because because I you know I don't have a hell of a lot to say about those ones, but Hateful Eight is basically a play, um, and so if you go into it thinking about that, it plays a lot better than if you think it's a film. Um, right. And they released it as a four episode miniseries, which I I didn't know that was that's quite weird. Um, <laughs> and then like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is fine. Like you watched it like today, didn't you? Yeah, I did watch it today. Only fine. I, I, it's. Do you think it's because it's too too many tropes of the same thing at this point? Like it doesn't feel like where Pulp Fiction you have the conversations, those kind of things. Like it feels disrespectful, and he was criticised by Bruce Lee's daughter, um, Shannon Lee, <laughs> to have Bruce Lee in the film, and Brad Pitt fights him and throws him into a car. <laughs> throws him in a car. Like none of that felt like it synced up. You know, yeah. I mean, that's where, like, the question you asked me before about the disrespectful kind of side, like, that didn't feel like anything right to me. Yeah, I, I just, I did, I felt this one, that you're right, I only watched uh, today because I just wanted to sort of get another one under my belt. Um, it felt like the, the same pace as a lot of Tarantino films, but without a lot of the sort of drawing you in dialogue and stuff. No. I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I liked any of the characters. No. I mean the the vague synopsis, Oscar, is that like Leonardo DiCaprio plays an actor who's trying to do bigger things, but is kind of typecast into John Wayne style TV cowboy japes. Mm-hmm. He yep, and Brad Pitt is his like stunt is his man, stuntman right? who drives him around because Leo's lost his license but doesn't want anyone to know. And then also yeah. like Roman Polanski lives next door to him, which is weird. And then at the same time, Margot Robbie's there, and um, <laughs> you know Charles Manson. There are people that go to his house and try and kill him. Like it, it's so weird, and it exists in that time. Like I think the only real enjoyable bit of that for me was when it's doing again a big piece where fuck all happens, but it is DiCaprio playing the cowboy character and he's doing a few lines mm-hmm. and like they're going through the scene and it's really intense and then he flubs his lines and he's like fuck like yeah. where do I go and I think that whole section was good but like it's fine it's a thing yeah I feel I feel the same way much about like I don't know Martin Scorsese or Steven Spielberg all these like brilliant filmmakers who have given us these like things that are just beautiful works of art even independent of them as people in some cases, obviously like Tarantino, like we've been talking about, but like they just hit this point where it's just like, all right, man, you said everything you had to say very <laughs> clearly. Like mm. 
you're, you're just like reliving the good old days over and over and over again. Like, who's bought a Paul McCartney album post-70s? I hope no one. You know what I mean? Like, have you heard that Christmas song from the 80s? Like, we put out a new album a few years ago. We gave it to my mother-in-law for her birthday because she's a huge Beatles fan. But, like, we must have been the one person who bought that album. You know what I mean? Fair enough. Paul McCartney, play the hits. And, like, Quentin Tarantino, get out of the way. You know what I mean? Yeah, there is an element of that. Like, I think it's one of my favorite quotes was from um, Luc Besson, who is the filmmaker who made The Fifth Element. Um, and there was like a massive long time where he just didn't really do anything significant or or want to. And, you know, afterwards he was asked why. And he's just like, well, we have this phrase in France, you know, if you don't really have anything to say, you shut the fuck up. <laughs> so so I shut the fuck up for a few years. Like, you know, and and there is that extent of like, you know, like at the minute, I don't know, it was weird watching trailers from the Bond film. And it's like, oh, there's a West Side Story remake coming out and it's steven spielberg okay do we need that i don't know do we is that a thing we need does everything have to be rehashed intellectual property having said that i will go pay all my money for every marvel film ever (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. no that just feels like extreme boomer energy of like oh wouldn't weren't the good old days so good let's let's just live in them now you know what i mean like of course he's making a movie about Hollywood back in the day. He's old. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like He's like, ah, oh, these, these youths with their TikToks. <laughs> back in my day, our drivers used to try to kill people. <laughs> or whatever happens in that movie. I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that movie? Oh, fucking hell. Yeah. Yeah. That was enjoyable. You know, what, you know what we need at the minute? Films about racial tensions. Yes. Mm-hmm. More of that, please. Oh, all you need to do is dance together and everything will be fine. Oh, brilliant. Fucking yeah. just... Maybe you shut up. <laughs> Thank you for saving Private Ryan. That's it. Just that, Jurassic just, Park? That's all. I have Jaws. To oh, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, like, obviously there's lots of movies. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to think. That like, he has done that are good. If I could keep specifically three Spielberg things. No, this doesn't bear thinking about. Well, three? I we... Just three? Yeah, only three. Jurassic Park. Standard. Jaws. E.T. E.T. No, E.T. can bin off. I used to have nightmares about E.T. Yeah, me too. Fuck E.T. Fuck that guy. It's weird. The government's going to come scare me and get me in their suits. In it. I don't know. Maybe I was the wrong age for that. (laughs) Yeah, same. Fuck that film. Well, Mark, I hope we did you uh, proud there. Um, We did put... (laughs) We did what you said, but we did it in our way, I guess. It was was kind of assumed. Um, So thank you for contributing. (laughs) We did so much research for that. Oscar literally saying he hadn't seen half the films. Um, But... That kind of wraps us up. Like I said before, didn't do a quiz. Thought about doing it. Glad I didn't now, because you two probably would have got zero again. Uh, fixtures next week. Watford, Liverpool, Aston Villa, Wolves, Leicester, Man United, Man City, Burnley, Norwich, Brighton, Southampton, Leeds, Brentford, Chelsea, Everton, West Ham, Newcastle, Spurs, Arsenal, Crystal Palace. Say goodbye, Oscar. <laughs> Bye. Say goodbye, Ian. Did I do the music in the wrong place? No, you did it in the right place. Thank you very much, Mark Deffen, again for your contribution. Thanks to the other producers. Nate Whitham, all the best on your deployment. Johnny Boy, Worthington, keep updating that James Bond spreadsheet, my boy. Thank you very much for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>